Hi, everybody, and thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. It is afternoon here in sunny South Florida, but it's probably still morning for a lot of you out there. Um, I'm here today with my really good friend, Robert Kiesacker. And hey, Robert, I'm so hey. glad that you can join me today. Yeah, I'm honored. Thank you. And today is National Creme Brulee Day. I noticed that Lexi made creme brulee coffee this morning. I don't know if that was planned or if it just kind of happened, but uh, also National Chili Dog Day. So if that turns you on more than the creme brulee, then hey. Chili dog does a little bit more for me than, than, than the creme brulee. I had a bowl of cereal, <laughs> so no fancy you know, coffee for me today. <laughs> Absolutely. Today we're going to talk a little bit about um, chapter 16 and 17 of the guidelines. And I know that you're a dad, so you, you've had experience with those uh, perinatal little babies from the time that they get here and they're delivering. They're so cute and squishy and till 28 days and, and then they start really, uh, you know, demanding our attention a little bit more. So that's always a, the fun time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's always interesting. I, um, you know, teaching and, and being an instructor, um, it's always kind of a, it's an, it's an interesting conversation to have, you know, um, trying to talk about pregnancy and, you know, babies when you hadn't necessarily gone through it. And I am blessed to have two beautiful boys. Thank you. Um, and they, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was it was really interesting just to kind of see the process, um, because you know, from a from a guy's standpoint, sometimes it's hard to understand, you know, what's happening, um, and going through that process and seeing everything those amazing nurses and the doctors and doing what they're doing in the hospital. And um, my first kiddo, Mr. Dominic, um, we had a a, a very interesting. Um, introduction to the world. We got to meet the ICU nurses, the NICU nurses. Oh. So um, some of my neighbors, um, I got to see some of these diagnoses in in, in, in action, and it, and it was really hard. Um, and it's one of those things where when you become a parent. Everything is like magnified. Um, so even as you know, we go through some of these diagnoses. I think everybody's journey is different, and you know, I'm you know not being judgmental on anybody. Things happen, um, and um, but you know, I think the thing that was interesting to me was some of these diagnoses, and even you know, life choices, wherever you want to, you know, don't mean to get too deep, but these mm -hmm. things stay with these patients for their entire life. Um, it's not just something that they have during those first, you know, couple weeks of, 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 um, birth. We uh, had a world. Yeah. So my, my husband, um, you know, everybody knows all my husband's ailments at this point. There's just like no secrets out there. He was actually born with the, the sphincter that goes from the stomach to the duodenum was fused. So here's oh, wow. this tiny baby who's trying to eat and everything is coming back up and he's just miserable because he just got here. He thought he was going to get a hot meal. Nothing's going down. The belly is rumbling. And at three days old, 
he had to have a surgery and he still has this itty bitty baby scar like on this giant man um but throughout his life he's had he has suffered from such gi problems and wow. that history of having that and you know while they did repair it and, and he went on to be a very good eater um <laughs> he he had that over and over again you know we had to discuss that that's he's had these gi problems since the very beginning and we watch we watch how um maybe that has affected his overall gi problems you know so yeah you never know yeah no, Mr. Dominic had, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what he had, but he, you know, it was, it's funny looking at it now, but he, uh, we, we went through all the classes. We were the, I, perfect little parents. We did all the little classes at the hospital. We did everything we were doing. We read several books and webcam or, you know, podcasts and the whole nine yards. And we had our little folder with our plan in it, you know, uh -huh. what exactly what we were going to do. And, you know, that plan went out the window as soon as that young man came out. And uh, he had double pneumothorax. So he blew out the bottom of both of his lungs. No way. Yeah. So he uh, he came out. And mom had some complications as, as well. But that's a, that's a whole separate conversation. We'll, we'll talk about that when you want to talk about OB and, and complications of pregnancy. But um, when he came out... Um, it was interesting because you know, you've got the whole delivery team, right. but you have this other NICU team that comes in and assesses, and they're and they're going to be there no matter what. But they will assess the child, and they'll be able to kind of determine if there's any um, ailments that they can kind of identify as soon as they're born. Well, he had this really—he sounded like a sea lion. I don't know how else to say it, he, but he was just like this barking. And um, we didn't know any better. We didn't know, you know, whether that was good or bad. And I was focused on my wife and, and what was going on with her. And um, this nurse, I remember this little, she was a, a, a shorter nurse. She came over the bedside and she's like, we're taking your baby. We're, oh. we're taking you up to the NICU. I'm like, okay. So oh, I went with the baby and mom stayed down there and, you know, they, they had all kinds of tubes and wires and all kinds of stuff. And, um, it was, it was interesting because, um, you kind of get to see in the NICU, you kind of get to see a lot of this stuff. And like our neighbors were, you know, every page, every baby had a different story about what was going on and he ended up being okay. Um, yeah. he bounced back within a couple of days. He got to hang out in the hospital for, you know, a week or two, but, uh, he healed right up and tubes came out and he started eating wow. and he's a, like you said, normal little baby wouldn't even have any idea that there was ever any kind of anything going on. So. Oh my God. Except that the parents, we, we're the parents, we get to hold those scars of yeah. what happened. Yeah. And, uh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us because yeah. I've never experienced that, but it, I can imagine from that perspective, I just had a friend who delivered at 27 weeks. Um, oh, wow. And, but this little girl, let me tell you, she was a fighter within three days. She was eating her by herself within three weeks. She was home. She was like, yeah. I'm just not playing this game. I'm, I'm a strong independent woman and we're going to make this happen. So, uh, but 
I could see that that neonatal team would be the ones who would utilize this section of the guidelines the most, considering yeah. that chapter 16 is only for those little newborn babies through 28 days. And I like the way that it says it's never used on the maternal record. And I don't, I don't know if you remember, there was a TV show called the dinosaurs um, where they had these live characters that were in costume and there was a little tiny baby and he was constantly going, not the mama. Yeah. Right. You remember that? Yes. Yeah, so th these are the, not the mama codes. That's kind of how I've, I got it written in my book. Not the mama. Um, but like you said, these codes can be used throughout someone's life, depending on if we, if these conditions that they have kind of roll over to, you know, at, beyond 28 days there. Yeah. And no, and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that that's kind of the thing that, I don't know, it's always been kind of challenging to me is, is that. You know, you start off with one patient and then all of a sudden you have this diversion and now you have two patients. Right. Um, and they are, you have to code them out kind of, you know, separately. And I think those, to your point, those, those NICU nurses and those, you know, even those, uh, what do they call them? Couplet care nurses and um, that whole team, they're going to be the ones that are going to kind of initially identify these. Mm -hmm. Um. But, you know, even as kind of like I was kind of refreshing on some of the, the guidelines coming into this, you know, I saw a lot of um, guidelines that were talking about code underlying conditions first. Um, so I think there's a lot of causal effect that kind of happened in this chapter as well. Of, okay, you have this symptom or this disease process and it's affecting, it's causing this other, you know, challenge that's occurring so yeah like in my yeah, husband's case he lost weight in those first three to five days well the first five days that he was alive I mean he lost a significant amount of weight because he couldn't eat and they had to code that and they had to code a, you know a little bit of concern that he wasn't getting the nourishments just after getting here and that was a a, a big concern there's one section that that's in the guideline um, that I think is kind of really interesting. It is I-16A-6. And, um, you know, I always kind of think about what is clinically significant? What does that mean? Not just in this chapter, but even as we think about other chapters and, and other diagnosis codes, and, and I think about clinically significant, and I'm always asked, you know, from a medical necessity perspective. And then we say it's got to be clinically significant. What does that mean? Well, they, they give us some guidance here and they tell us it's got to be a, a clinical evaluation, a therapeutic treatment, a diagnostic process, extends a length of stay. Like it says, these are the things that support it, any, any diagnosis being clinically significant with the patients there. So I thought that was kind of awesome. And it was kind of hidden in this chapter. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, I have found that those type of conversations, those types of things are awesome opportunities to get to know your providers. If you, if you have that ability, um, those are the things that 
you know, having a conversation with your provider sometimes can be a little awkward and, and you kind of feel like, you know, who are you to be able to, to say whether I should or shouldn't do that? But I think that is one of those things where, hey, doctor, I have this code. What do you think? You know, what makes it clinically significant to you? Um, and most providers, they're going to love to talk to you about, you know, all of that stuff. And then you can kind of take that conversation and then put it in the framework of that code and be like, okay, this is the real world. This is how they're interpreting in this. And then within the, within the, the description of the chapter um, of that code, this is where that would kind of fall. And I think that gives you a really good um, understanding of, you know, those codes because, you know, the thing that I, I, I guess I've learned this recently after doing this for a little bit, the codes, are, are not meant to be adversarial to the providers. They're meant to support what they're trying to do. Um, right. They're meant to, you know, be our taken friend, in. Yeah. Our, our friend Betty Hovey taught me uh, a little trick that I use with providers now. And she said, walk me through it. Yes. And that is almost when, when I saw this section again in the guidelines, that's exactly what I thought. I, I had Betty in my head going, walk me through it. And I was like, yes, yes, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> I've, I've heard a few people use the term and I don't know who, who originally, you know, uh, holds the, the, the original saying, but I've heard a lot of people use it, but it's think in ink. Betty um, says it a lot. And, yeah. If you think so, it, ink it is what Betty yeah. says, I think. Yeah. Because a lot of providers, I mean, they got so much stuff going on. They're like, well, I did that. You didn't tell me. I know. You got to tell me. I know. That's so, so difficult. Yeah. Well, to kind of go through a little bit more of the guidelines, um, we have a specific code that we, well, first of all, it gives us the the very first code that a newborn receives, you know, so the minute they, they get here and they get their very first code and they're introduced to that Z38, welcome to the world code. I think that's what it should be renamed. Welcome to the world. Um, but if that baby has to stay in the hospital because maybe they're, they want to see something or, or like with your son, you know, they want to see if there's any problems there. And then, you know, wonderfully it gets ruled out. There's nothing wrong. There's a code for that. And, and they tell us that unless, of course, there's signs and symptoms. And we always code signs and symptoms without a definitive diagnosis. But um, I thought that was interesting that sometimes we watch those little babies as soon as they get here to see if there's anything that we are suspecting might be there. But then it turns out to not be. Yay. You know, yeah. you, you did a great job, little guy. So maybe the welcome to the world code and then the you did a good job code, <laughs> the Z05. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think, you know, so many times these these little you know guys and gals, they rebound so quickly to begin with. So you, you know, you you see a sign and symptoms, you see something that's going on and you start to evaluate it. And and many times by the time that you've come up with a definitive, you know, diagnosis and an ultimate prognosis you, you know, they're starting to resolve. So um, this stuff happens really fast. Stuff, you know, a lot of these codes, a lot of these, these processes are, you know, you're going to identify them, you're going to start to treat them. And then, you know, they, you know, in a lot of ways, they start to resolve. Um, yeah. I think that 
when you start to see some of those long-term effects, um, um, when you start to see some of those long-term effects, um, you that's where you start, you know, I think it starts getting a little bit, dare I say, comp more complicated because you have yeah. to start seeing, okay, what is the relationship of how this is going to affect, you know, certain yeah. things. Um, and to your, to, your, to your husband's point, not all of these things can be treated right off the bat. Like some of this yeah. stuff, like we're going to have to push this out a little bit, especially with some of the, like the cardiac surgery type of stuff, some of those anomalies. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to have a, 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 you know, so when I use the word prognosis, yeah, I'm talking about a plan. Okay. We have this disease. What's the plan that we're going to do to treat it? Um, and do we mean, need to do it right now? Can it yeah. wait until the baby gets a little bit bigger, stronger, um, can support that a little bit more? Uh, I think we see that a lot. Um, we see that in, in a lot of preemies that happen. And preemie is anybody that is technically anybody that's born before 37 weeks. But yeah. like my grandson, the love of my life. Okay. Let it be a said, and it's officially now forever. He is. Um, he was born at 35 weeks, but there was nothing wrong with him. He was yeah. just ready. So yeah. at 35 weeks, he came. He went home two days later because he was eating and drinking and peeing and pooping and all the great things that those little, uh, you know, little guys do. And there was nothing wrong with him. So sometimes, you know, there's even a great guideline there that tells us that just because you got here early doesn't mean that you get a diagnosis that you have any type of, of slow growth or slow, you know, any of those relationships that we might assume it has to be documented in the medical record that there is, that they found something or that they have this condition or this concern and without having it documented, then we can't assume that there's something else wrong with this baby. Cause again, like I said, my grandson, 35 weeks, he came out, he was like, give me the keys. I'm going home. You know, I could not agree with you more. I have a, um, I have a really good friend that she is, um, she's actually a type one diabetic. She's been diabetic her whole life. Um, she's obviously on insulin, um, healthy, you know, she's got healthy weight, you know, has a healthy lifestyle, you know, other than the diabetes, she, she, you know, she's, she's very well controlled the whole nine yards, her husband, um, very healthy individual and their baby was born. I want to say it was one day before 35 days. So it was technically 34 weeks and he was a strapping 11 pounds. Whoa. And so many ounces fully developed, full head of hair. Um, Whoa! Good little. Can you imagine another month in there? Like right? he would have just taken over the body. She would have just like started a beard, and it would have just been the new, the new person. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So his, I think that you know they named his first name was Ford. Um. So I feel <laughs> like you know they they you know when you start naming a a a a, a, a male with you know, a strong name like that, you're asking for a, an 11 pound baby at 34 weeks, but, wow. but yeah, he was, to your point, um, he was healthy. 
Yeah. In 34 weeks, he was fully developed and ready to take the keys to the truck, literally. Um, and no complications. Everything was good. So, um, That's awesome. I, you know, these babies sometimes do, they're their own little person. They're going to do what they need to do, you know, and sometimes they need to cook longer and sometimes they need to cook less. I guess. Absolutely. But. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, there's sometimes things are a science and sometimes things are an art. And uh, I think when it comes to delivering delivery, that's more of an art. It's it's up to the baby of what time they're going to come. Not that there aren't, you know, external causes sometimes that will will make that happen. But when we hear stories of those babies that get here early and big or um, early and even at low birth weight, but there's no other conditions, no other signs, no other symptoms. You know, my friend who had her baby at 27 weeks, um, that baby was two pounds and change, but she brought home, I think that the, the baby had to be four pounds before she could bring it home, but that baby ate food and, and, and took food from the very beginning and gained that weight in a very short period of time. And kind of like me around my birthday month and, um, you know, went home early and that wasn't a problem for it. There was no, no affecting that baby's, um, health status. And so it's really yeah. important that, that we remember that. And by the way, there's a guideline for that, right? Low birth weight. And, and does it affect the baby's health status or not? Are they just petite and then they're not, or, you know, whatever that happens to be. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, and you, you said it, and I know we're talking about the guidelines for ICD-10, but, you know, I would also take into consideration that, you know, when we're talking about babies of low birth weight or preemies or any, you know, all of that, you're going to see effects on your anesthesia codes. Mm -hmm. You're going to see effects on a lot of your surgery codes. A lot of your surgery codes are going to have specifics for either um, age of the patient. Um, some of them even may be based on weight. Um, right, the modifier. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, these are things that, you know, if you're in this realm or you're thinking about getting into this realm, you know, there's a lot of special considerations taken for, um, the babies and you know especially if there's those other um i don't know comorbidities i guess i don't i guess you would call it a low yeah absolutely and and they talk about bacterial sepsis covid-19 yeah. you know there were babies born during covid-19 and mom yeah. was covid-19 positive yes or babies that right after delivery tested positive for covid-19 and as coders i was really really relieved that we had some guidelines to even tell us how to navigate that because listen covid hit us all kind of blindsided us we didn't see it coming and then we were we all had to become covid experts overnight yeah and that was a little challenging so as they added more and more guidance in the guidelines whether it be for mom or whether it be for the baby, I was super, super thrilled to see that since it, it took up so much. It was three years of our life that we're kind of uh, um, revolving around COVID. Yeah, no. And it's, you know, I'm really, I'm kind of excited. To, I mean, I use the word excited, but I'm, I'm happy to be out of COVID, but I'm also just fascinated to see what those long-term effects are going to start to be. 
you know, um, I know with the hospital I was working at, we, you know, we were, we first started having those types of babies. Um, it was really scary because we weren't sure how that was going to affect the baby. There wasn't, I mean, um, but in some situations, and I don't know if there's, I'm sure there's some research study going on on this somewhere, but what they're finding is that in some situations, those babies were actually being born with some antibodies yeah. associated with COVID-19 that, um, you know, and that was the other thing. And, and again, this is a separate conversation, but when we were on our second baby, it was in the middle of COVID and the big debate was about the vaccine. Whether or not, because early on in the conversation, they were worried that could moms, should moms receive the vaccine going into, you know, pregnancy. Um, and we asked our doctor and we asked, I mean, I even went and asked the medical director at our hospital and they're like, guys, you got to make the best call. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, it's come out that it was, it was fine and everything worked out okay for us. But um, looking at those long-term effects, you know, you're going to see those things start to come up yeah. of long terms of yeah. fact. Just well, COVID they happened. had a new diagnosis code that was that post COVID or long haul. Yeah, COVID. long haul. Yeah, right. And yeah. so we we already we already know that we are going to see some. And I'm I'm just like you, Robert. I'm so excited to see some of the research that'll tell us, you know, the, the efficacy of the vaccines, the antibodies that were created, and and how are those going to protect us from future COVID related conditions and. Uh, yeah know that that prevention that we never have to experience this again at least in in our lifetime um my grandparents had to deal with or my great-grandparents had to deal with you know the um the uh the plague that happened back in the day and so they were dealing with that and now with this generation we've had to deal with that hopefully we get to go another couple of three generations before something else pops up and um, and, and hopefully we've done enough research to leave that information behind so that they can piggyback where we left off and uh, see that it doesn't get as out of control as it did this time. Yeah, yeah it was definitely, um, you know, hindsight. You look back at it. There was a lot that was learned. Um, there was a lot to learn, you know, professionally and, you know, personally and, and the whole nine yards. I think that you know we're going to spend a lot of time over the next couple of years really um looking at um what the long-term effects are going to be and and and, and what that kind of what the future is going to hold with that well that kind of takes us into chapter 17. Yeah. do we think that we're going to see any congenital malformations deformations chromosomal abnormalities we don't know. We don't know if that's going to happen, right? We don't know. Uh, and in that case, you know, are they going to give us new codes to report these abnormalities that we might be seeing? Um, I don't know. And yeah. and the guidelines tell us that some of these abnormalities might be things that have to be coded for the rest of our lives. I know that I've shared with all of my friends, I have a congenital connective tissue disorder. And so a lot of the things that I'm dealing with now that I'm, I'm later in life and 
unfortunately, in case, you, well, you don't know this, but as you get older, Robert, everything starts to break down a little bit and gets, it's just awful. Don't do it. If you can avoid getting older, you and Rachel, please don't get older. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It's not all glamorous. Um, but that these conditions now, I'm seeing that my Q codes are getting reported more and more to kind of explain why I have these new conditions related to the congenital conditions or the the abnormality that, that I have there. Very, very interesting. And uh, those codes continue on. So there's not a whole lot in the guidelines for this chapter, but that was one of the things that that stood out to me was that we continue to code these throughout someone's life as long as they're relevant. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I don't know, I don't know if I actually ever shared this with you, but I also have a, uh, a neurological connective tissue type thing. It's called a Charcot-Tooth-Marie disorder. It's kind of a, I guess it's kind of a form of muscular dystrophy, but essentially the nerves um, in my arms and my legs are like kind of firing all the time. So oh. it, it does two things. So it creates, and I will show you my feet, but it's they're pretty gnarly, but um, <laughs> they cause you very high arches, hammer toed, uh -huh. And it's hard to get muscle mass. So um, I've had to kind of go through that through my whole life. And, and I'm starting to get the first couple tastes of, of becoming a little bit older. And, and really, you know, because when I was younger, it wasn't as big of a deal. It was, right, like, right. it was kind of like, oh, don't you don't leave me with that. But now as I'm getting older, the effects of that are really starting to kick in. I was um, literally, I was getting out of the shower yesterday. And I went to lift my leg and my leg didn't lift. Like it just kind of drug on the ground. Oh, and no. I jammed three of my toes into the tile. So my toes, I have three toes that are literally like the color of my shirt right now. Oh it's, no. It's yeah, so it was, oh. uh, you know, to that point, I mean, it's kind of joking, but um, these ailments, have an effect they, they it's not just the physical effects of that ailment you know and i don't think that there's i can't say that there's a you know a, a causal relationship between that and jamming your toe but uh um well, we might as well give it to it because you know exactly. whatever we can blame works exactly i'm that way um when when something is misfiring on, on myself when something's not working i just oh well it's that problem it's from that exactly and I, and Funny how we become so almost numb to it. Like I, I'll just say, "Oh, that's just part of my connective tissue disorder." It's, oh well, that happened. Let's just fix that real quick. Um, I get a lot of dislocations, so oh, it dislocated again. We just gotta pop it back in, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, mine is mine is. I have a pretty high tolerance for pain, just because like I'm just used to it always hurting. They're like, doesn't that hurt? I'm like, well, not any more than it normally does. Like, right, right. So, um, you know, but uh, and I, I, they, my wife calls, tells me that I have princess feet because oh. with the high arches, it's hard to walk around barefoot. Like, I always have to wear like slippers or something because, you know, it hurts to walk on tile. So, uh, that's yeah, why you love Birkenstocks. What? Bir yeah. You wear Birkenstock shoes? I, love I don't. I, I just, I recently, um. I recently bought a a a uh, my first set of Crocs, so I, <laughs> I entered that realm. So. Well, I'll tell you if you decide to go Birkenstock, 
all, all of us that have problems with our feet, we swear by it. Um, I know that that Beth uh, Schlieffer and Gary, they both wear Birkenstocks and they're, they're very proud wearers of Birkenstocks. And so am I. So think about that. Robert, our time is over today. I don't, can you believe it went by so quickly? I think it I said did. it went by really fast. Pardon? So um, just to let you guys know, Robert and I actually met at Mastering the Business of Medicine in San Diego this year. It was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, I know that you all have heard myself and, and Sonal and Betty Hovey and Beth Schlieper. Um, but we've all been promoting the next event in New York. We're going to have the next Mastering the Business of Medicine retreat. And I, and I have talked about this on the podcast before, but wanted just to remind you all that it is an, an amazing experience, nothing that you have ever experienced before. The intimacy with the experts, the knowledge, the, the fellowship, the friendships that are developed during the retreat are not like anything you're ever going to experience anywhere else. And so if you have a couple of days in the end of September and you would like to come and help me celebrate my birthday, I would look forward to seeing you all in New York City. Uh, not in the city, actually. In, in uh, We're outside. We're in the, in the Hudson Valley of New York. And uh, we'll be talking about the 2024 proposal. And we'll be talking about Target Probe and Educate. And we'll be talking about NCCI and ICD-10 guideline updates. You're not going to want to miss Ruby Woodward to talk to you about those updates there. And Pam Vanderbilt will be there. Beth Schlieper will be there. Robert, I don't know if you and Rachel are going to be there. Or you're catching I'm not. I won't. I won't be able to be at that one. But I was going to say, if you are on, if the East Coast is a little bit far, um, I will be on the West Coast later next year in San Diego, and then earlier, uh, right after New York, I'll be in beautiful Prescott Valley in Arizona. Um, so I'll be at those two events. I won't be able to make the New York one, but I would. I mean, I would highly recommend you guys check it out. I've I've had be at a lot of different conferences and this is unlike and we don't even use we call it a retreat um it's not like anything i've been at where experience yeah you get to talk and interact with people and get to know people i met christine at there i met lexi there um it was a wonderful opportunity you know i'm like hey we have so much in common like you know uh, it was it was very 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 it was a it was amazing so. thanks again robert for being on Robert's contact information is scrolling across the bottom. Please make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn. Just an amazing wealth of knowledge, my friends. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for watching.